Back in elementary school, the playground went through phases of what the cool game at lunch to play was. And I remember one phase in particular where everyone just started digging. Everyone wanted to dig a hole straight through the earth to China. Now, I also remember thinking as a kid that this would never work. I'd looked at a globe and I knew that China was not on the opposite side of the earth than the west coast of Canada where I grew up. But this does raise an interesting question. If you could just keep digging, what would you find? Where would you go? What would you learn? You may be thinking of another thing from elementary school. That classic diagram of the planet with a quarter or half of it cut away. You know the one that shows the layers of the earth that kind of look like a jawbreaker? In the very center, there's the inner core, which is surrounded by the outer core, which is surrounded by a big region called the mantle, and that's covered by the thinnest layer of all, the crust. That thin layer is all that us humans have ever known. We have never been able to dig below the crust. So let's change that. Hi, my name's Lucas. I'm about to spend two months on a ship, the Joides Resolution, and we're going to drill a hole in the bottom of the sea. listening to the first episode of what will be a weekly podcast during December 2015 and January 2016, allowing you to follow this scientific expedition in real time. By the way, the Joides Resolution, which I mentioned a moment ago, is a scientific research vessel with a big drill on the back of it. It's funded by the National Science Foundation. This drill ship and its predecessors have made some pretty big contributions to human knowledge, including providing definitive evidence for both the theory of plate tectonics and the asteroid impact that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs, as well as allowing us to reconstruct the last hundred million years of Earth's climate. The JR is currently about to depart from the port of Colombo, Sri Lanka, hoping to make headway towards three more unanswered questions. What is the nature of that boundary, that barrier between the Earth's crust and the Earth's mantle? How exactly does the seafloor form? And how deep does microbial life penetrate into the Earth's crust? And what new microbes can we find down there? As an onboard outreach officer, it is my job to communicate this science with the rest of the world. In this podcast, I'll be doing that through interviews with the team on board the ship and making sure everything is explained from square one. No prerequisites necessary. On this first episode, a brief history of the quest to touch the mantle and why exactly do we want to do it so badly. So, first of all, how do we even know there's something down there to drill to? If we've never been beyond the crust, how do we even know there's other layers down there? Well, this story starts in 1909, when there was an earthquake in Croatia. And luckily, there was a very clever scientist around to feel it. Andrija, oh boy, um, I hope I pronounced this correctly. Andrija Mohorovicic? Mohorovicic. 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 I think I got that. Mohorovicic looked at the record of this earthquake on a number of seismographs. And seismographs are just instruments that record the shaking from an earthquake. When an earthquake occurs, it radiates these seismic waves away from its epicenter. And these waves travel at different speeds depending on the types of rock that they're traveling through. The denser the rock is, the faster the wave is going to travel. Now, 
If the Earth was uniform all the way through, if the entire planet was just like the crust, then when an earthquake happens, it would radiate its waves out all at the same speed. However, Andrija didn't find this. He found that when you got about 200 kilometers away from the epicenter and further, the seismographs were detecting faster waves. This is very odd, because waves aren't supposed to speed up as you get further away. They're supposed to lose energy over time. So what Mohorovicic... Mohorovicic? Oh boy. What Andrija concluded is that there must be a layer of denser rock somewhere deep below our feet that was allowing for this faster passage of seismic waves. This boundary over top of a layer of denser rock can be seen all over the world, and it now bears Andrija's name. It's called the Mohorovicic discontinuity. Mohorovicic discontinuity. Or, for those like me who have trouble pronouncing that, it's called the Moho for short. So, we know that there's a change in rock density. But why? That's the next question. Why does the rock get denser? For this, let's turn to an expert. Let me introduce you to Henry. Uh, yes, my name is Henry Dick. I have been a scientist at the Woods Hole Geographic Institution for 40 years now, and I'm going to be the chief scientist on Expedition 360 of the Ocean Drilling Program. We'll be hearing from Henry a lot in the next couple months, but let's get back to this layer of denser rock. It was thought that the, the explanation for this, and it still is, is that the Earth's crust is made of very silica-rich rock. And the mantle is made of rock that's very rich. It still has a lot of silica, still about 44% silica, but it has a lot of magnesium and a lot of iron in it. Very different composition. So the hypothesis was put forward that this was the crust mantle boundary. Many believe that the Moho boundary seen in seismic waves is this change in rock type from the less dense rocks of the crust to the denser rocks of the mantle. And, but, you know, this, was, this is a hypothesis. No one's been there. And so there was a really curious group of individuals called the American Miscellaneous Society. Let me just jump in and say that that is a spectacular name. And the American Miscellaneous Society consisted of a casual gathering of some of the world's most famous geophysicists. And they came up with this idea of drilling a hole through the ocean crust into the Earth's mantle and to see that prove that the, the Moho was in fact the crust mantle boundary. They wanted to drill through the ocean because the crust in the ocean is a lot thinner than the crust on continents. So you don't have to drill as far. And so they stimulated, they actually put this together. They thought it was a great idea. They put it together and they went to, con to, the, to the government and they got them to agree to do this project. And this was back at the time of the Johnson administration. And they got a drilling platform and they put a drill rig on this barge. It was a barge and they went out and it was called Cus One. And they drilled off of Puerto Rico to see if they could drill in the ocean with this. And they, in fact, they could. So then they uh, decided, okay, let's get a real drill ship. And they proposed this to the National Science Foundation. And the Johnson administration, you know, Mr. Johnson was a Texan. And he had a lot of friends down there in Schlumberger and all the big uh, drilling companies. And I've forgotten which one, which one was headed for the contract. But things got a little out of hand, and when the estimated price of this whole expedition got to a billion dollars... Let me just point out that this was in 1966, so that's over five billion today. Uh, Congress said, wait a minute. And that was Project Moho. 
And Moha was canceled by Congress because they could. This was just too much pork to be sending down to one to, to a few engineering buddies of uh, Lyndon Johnson's down in Texas. And so, not only did that kill that project, it gave the name Project Moho a really bad name. So we were all told in the drilling program that we never mentioned the word Moho anywhere near the NSF or Congress. This was, of course, frustrating, as it's hard to get funding for a scientific expedition to drill to something that you really can't talk about. Interestingly, it did set off a bit of an Earth science equivalent to the space race. This being the Cold War, after all, the Soviets began their own drilling attempt on land. The Kola Superdeep Borehole was started in 1970, and they drilled until 1993, reaching a depth of over 12 kilometers. Sadly, though, they didn't reach the Moho. Remember how the crust is a lot thicker on continents than it is in the oceans? This just means you have to drill a lot further to hit that Moho. But still, this hole does remain the deepest point that humans have ever reached on Earth. Now, despite the issues with Project Mohol, the scientific community thought that they could build a less expensive ship to do something similar. And they did. It was called the Glomar Challenger. It was always quietly intended that we would use this ship to try and drill the Mohol. So they scheduled legs 45 and 46. And the idea was is that 45 was going to go out to the Atlantic Ridge, uh, start on some fairly old crust in the sediment basin, it was going to drill through the basaltic crust and into the uh, lower crust, which we believe is this rock gabbro, coarse-grained rock. And then leg two, which was going to be leg 46, would then drill from the, through the gabbro into the Earth's mantle. This turned out to be a wee bit optimistic. And uh, yeah, none of the holes got beyond 300 meters. And it turned out that we learned there that the shallow ocean crust was extremely difficult to drill through. Essentially, as you go down in the seafloor, you encounter a couple different types of rock. The stuff on top is called basalt, and it's made of very small little crystals, which make it very brittle. Now, below that, you get another type of rock called gabbro, which contains much larger crystals, and as a result, it's a lot easier to drill through. We'll talk a lot about these rocks later in this series. So, with unsuitable rocks in the mid-Atlantic, a better location was needed. The first time the Indian Ocean was considered was in 1986. And we sailed south from Mauritius for a month. Um, and uh, as we were headed down, I uh, looked at the map and said, let's go to that fracture zone. Now, you could never do that today. You'd never be able to, you know, just sort of uh, get a ship and pick a spot at will in the oceans and go, go survey it. And uh, the fracture zones where the great tectonic plates are sliding past each other. And it's also a place where you get tremendous tectonic movement and lifts up blocks of the uh, earth oh, two, three miles up. And in this case, we found a block that had been lifted up to sea level. It was an island at one point. And so we named it Atlantis Bank after, of course, the city of Atlantis, which is supposed to be in the Mediterranean, not in the central Indian Ocean. The fact that it was once an island is key here. Because Atlantis Bank was once above sea level, waves and weather would have eroded the top of it. And that would have actually taken away all that annoying basalt that makes up the upper part of the crust. And that means we don't have to drill through the shallow ocean crust. We don't have to drill through those layers that are very brittle and fine-grained and broken up. We could start directly in the coarse-grained rock. And uh, it's actually kind of cool. It's covered with lobsters and lots of interesting fish that normally shouldn't be down that deep. And I, I keep in the back of my mind, I'm not a biologist, but 
keep them in the back of my mind that this thing has been slowly submerging, uh, started at above, uh, probably a mile above sea level, or a half mile above sea level, and it's been sinking uh, for the last 10 million years. And it's now at 2,100 feet below the sea surface. And so maybe there's been some adaptation here. But from my viewpoint, my biology extends to the point where I, the lobsters look delicious. <laughs> Henry and his team returned in 1987 with the Joides resolution to drill. And they hit the jackpot. They were able to drill 500 meters, half a kilometer, directly into lower crustal Gabbro. That was the proof of concept. Having demonstrated they could drill at this site, all they needed was some more time with the ship to do just that. But sadly, the competition for the Joides Resolution's time is very fierce, and it wasn't until 1997 that they could return. And you might ask, why 10 years? Well, as we were leaving the site, one of the scientists looked at me and said, well, when will we be back here? And my answer was, next year or in 10 years. And he said, why? And I said, because... The Indian Ocean is a remote place. Very few people work here. And having seen that we can do this, scientists in the Pacific and the Atlantic uh, will want to do it at their location rather than come back here. And so either the, the, the momentum of this tremendous success of having drilled a half kilometer will bring us back here right away, or we will have to face the politics and we will not get back here until after they've found out they can't do it in those other locations. Ten years later, to the day, we arrived back at Atlantis Bank, literally to the day. So we uh, proceeded to drill, and it went like gangbusters. We drilled down to a kilometer and a half, and everything looked just absolutely golden. And we were about to pull out of the hole when um, they were doing some engineering work on the deck, and they had the drill string, which is enormously heavy. You've got to think about an iron pipe that's you know an inch thick, uh, extending down from a ship, 1,400 meters of it were out. I just did a very rough back-of-the-envelope calculation here. We're talking about a 75,000-kilogram drill here. It's an unbelievable weight. And you don't put that weight on the bit when you're drilling. You're actually holding weight off the uh, bottom of the hole. A storm came up very quickly. And before anybody could really think about it, the ship took a great big heave up, and the, and the drill string went down. It wasn't resting on the bottom. It went down to the side of hit a, a ledge on the side of the hole. That put the full weight on the bit. That caused the drill string to snap off at the seafloor. And a kilometer uh, of iron drill pipe fell 500 meters, 1,500 feet, essentially free fall, and hit the bottom of the hole. And the pipe corkscrewed. So it looked like your corkscrew of a, of a, wine, a wine corkscrew and permanently blocked the hole. And I was in the main, I was in the science lab looking down a microscope with a bunch of scientists. And I heard this kawump, wump. And I said, that's bad. That's very, very bad. We have known that we could drill a really deep hole there since the first time we drilled 500 meters. But once again, um, when we left in 1997, there were all kinds of people who had their own agendas who wanted to use the drill strip for other things, and many of them are outstanding things. It took me 10 years to get, it took, took another, um, well, 15 years in this time to, to get back. Um, I can't tell you, for many, many, many years, I wake up in the middle of the night and think, co-wump, co-wump. And with that devastation, we're brought to today. Expedition number 360, returning to the Atlantis Bank in the Southwest Indian Ocean. 
Yes, uh, my name is Peter Bloom, and I'm the staff scientist and expedition project manager. The role of the staff scientist is mainly to see the expedition through from the very very beginning when it is scheduled to the to the end when the major set of publications has come out. To some degree, this expedition is a redrill of what has already been drilled a decade or two decades ago. The goal is to go much deeper in a second expedition following up. And, and so the immediate goal for this expedition for me is to achieve a, a hole that is clear, clean, um, as deep as possible, without junk left in it, and with a re-entry system in the top that allows us to go back and do another 20 or so re-entries with the drill string to drill to the ultimate goal of three kilometers, which would be a record-setting uh, penetration ever drilled by the program. So this is part one of a two-part plan. We will drill as deep as possible and place a re-entry system, which is essentially a giant funnel at the top of the hole, to allow the Joides resolution to return in hopefully the not-too-distant future and pick up exactly where we left off. Yeah, yeah. As you, as you, as you know, the, the ultimate objective is to reach the Moho, which is you know, somewhere in, in, a, in five kilometer depth. That will actually not be achieved with this particular vessel. With this particular vessel, we would like to reach the lower crust in about, at about three kilometers. That will, could already provide a definitive uh, clue as to the nature of the Moho, because if, it's, if we find a lithologic boundary at that depth, then we know that the Moho is not that. The Moho has to be something else, than, and, and, and that would support the hypothesis that the Moho is actually an alteration phenomenon in the mantle. This is a key point. The site of Atlantis Bank not only allows for easy drilling, but it's also the location of very interesting observation. In a nearby fracture zone, there's a point where you can see rocks from the crust right above rocks from the mantle. This is the lithologic boundary that Peter's talking about. And yet, the moho itself can be seen in seismic waves five kilometers below this point. So what is the moho? The idea that this produced, though, was an old one, which is that the moho uh, is what's known as an alteration front, representing the depth to which water can percolate down through the earth and alter the rock. And when water alters rock, it changes its density. So this idea is that the moho might not actually be the change in rock type we once thought it was. It could be the limit of this chemical reaction. The idea is that water penetrates down into the rock that makes up the seafloor and initiates serpentinization. This is just the chemical creation of the mineral serpentine. Now, serpentine is about 40% less dense than the mantle, which is made out of a rock called peridotite. So this chemical change might actually be what's producing that signal seen in seismic waves. This could change the way we view the composition of our planet. But not only that, there's another very cool implication to this chemical reaction. I'll let Henry explain. When you take mantle peridotite and you add water, you get hydrogen. And hydrogen gas is a pretty reactive substance. And it will react with the water uh, to do two things. It will fix carbonate. Uh, carbonate will form uh, in the reactions. And it produces methane. And bacteria can live off of methane. And so the idea is, is that there is maybe a whole new planetary biosphere beneath the Earth's crust that we don't know about in the oceans. Just 
Just think of the possibilities. This could be a whole new realm of unstudied life on our planet. There could be medically useful microbes or implications for the search for life on other planets. It, it's so exciting. And it's with this excitement that we set out on expedition number 360. So stay tuned. There are so many more aspects to this expedition than I was able to touch on in this episode. So in the coming weeks, we'll have lots of stories of the scientific questions, engineering challenges, and hopefully some awesome discoveries. Drilling is the largest combination of really, really high-tech engineering and science and pure black magic. get the latest from the Joydees Resolution and explore the archives at our website, joydeesresolution.org. That's J-O-I-D-E-S resolution.org. You can like the ship on Facebook for real-time updates at facebook.com slash joydeesresolution or follow us on Twitter at the JR. If you have questions about the ship, ocean drilling, or the science of the seafloor, I would love to hear from you. In fact, we'll have a special question and answer episode later in the series where I hunt down the scientists and find answers for you. Head over to the website to send us an email or ask us them on Twitter or Facebook. A Hole at the Bottom of the Sea is supported by the European Consortium for Ocean Research Drilling's Scientific Support and Advisory Committee, as well as the International Ocean Discovery Program, the National Science Foundation, and the U.S. Science Support Program. Today's episode was produced and edited by myself with support from Sharon Cooper. You can follow me on Twitter at Lucas Kavanaugh or visit my website at www.lucas.fyi. The music used in this episode is by Bureaucratic. You can visit him on the web at bureaucratic.bandcamp.com. <laughs>